0: Let's open our Bibles to the 13th chapter of the Epistle to the Romans. Romans chapter 13. In 1991, I preached 11 sermons on this subject. And trying to do it in two today with all that I've added between '91 and now is going to be one of the more difficult tasks. But let's hit the high points of some reminders about this subject of God's authority, especially with an emphasis on civil authority. Romans chapter 13, this is the word of the Lord. I read to you the first seven verses. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever, therefore, resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, he must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For, for this cause, pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Amen and amen. This is the word of the Lord. This is describing one of the five spheres of authority, not the other four. This is not for husbands to use toward their wives unless they were to use it very indirectly and explain it so, and it certainly isn't about ministers, as some have tried to claim because their hearts are full of rebellion against civil authority, and they have set themselves to be anarchist patriots, and so they try to interpret Romans 13 as applying to the ministry. Today, because today is too important, I wouldn't waste your time proving them wrong. When we get to Romans 13, I'll prove them wrong. And we'll do it thoroughly enough. Nowhere in the Bible is a minister called a power. Nowhere in the Bible is a minister called principalities and powers. This is talking about civil government. Nowhere does a minister levy tribute upon his church members. But here we have seven verses, and very quickly, let's look at them. Let every soul, there are no exceptions to being subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God. The higher powers are to be obeyed and submitted to because God established them, not only by their ordinance, that means there's going to be an office of civil ruler, not only by the man in that office, but by the nation that brings that man to you. It could be by a war that overthrows your army, and they take place in your country, level your capital, and they institute their own government, that's the power that be. If you will allow me to use it that way for a moment. That's the power that is. That's the de facto government that God gave. So when, if Cuba were to take over the United States, and Fidel Castro became our next president, that would be the power that was. That would be the power in power, and we would submit ourselves to it. No problem. Because of this verse right here. There is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. It is very valuable for us to remember to whom Paul was writing and who ruled the world at this time so that when all these little foolish questions come up, when I hear the six-letter word Hitler from somebody's poor little mind It makes me wonder if they ever got past the third grade. What in the world is different about Hitler than many governments in the history of the world? What is different about Hitler's government and most of the governments in the Bible? Israel was under Pharaoh. What did he do to the babies of the Israelites? Hitler didn't do anything like that. What did Nebuchadnezzar do if he didn't like you? What did He do to the nation of the Jews? Which we've just heard about from our brother in his brief reading of Daniel chapter 4. The powers that be are of God. The powers that be are of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. There is no power but of God. If someone makes it to power, God put them there or they wouldn't have gotten there. Can you understand that? The reason that they're there Is God got them there. They didn't miscarry in their mother's wombs. They didn't die in a school bus accident on the way to kindergarten. They didn't die in a hot summer football practice when they were a junior in high school. They didn't get killed when they went off to war as a 20 year old. They made it to the highest level of power and God put them there by His sovereign providence in their lives. Number, verse number two, whosoever, therefore, resisteth the power, the civil authority that God has put in your life, if you resist it, then you are resisting the ordinance of God because the powers that be are ordained of God. Second half of verse two, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. If you want a peaceful life, if you want a life with some domestic tranquility, If you want God blessing you and favoring you and putting a hedge about you and protecting you and making your enemies be at peace with you, then you better learn to do one thing. Speak as highly as you can of all governmental authority that you meet with. Respect them and obey them and pay everything that you owe them on time. Because if you resist, you're resisting God and His ordination, and look at the result, damnation. We do not believe that the word damnation there means going to hell. Because we believe that there are those who are born again who have wasted their lives rebelling against civil authority and have been damned quite effectively in this life. (laughs) Because God will wreck your family. He will wreck your marriage. He will wreck your health. He will wreck your finances. If you want to question, government. They are so far above you to question them it's like to have your infant that's still in diapers questioning you. Except that example is poor because the authority of a king is far greater over you than your authority over that infant that is in diapers. I will defend God. The reason God is telling you here that He put that man there is because a king is the highest authority on earth and therefore to get your attention He wants to remind you that He's next in command. And He's the one that delegated His authority to that man on earth. I have seen families destroyed because they want to fight government. They want to read what they think is insider information. There is no such thing as insider information that anyone in your family has ever read because no one in your family has any security clearance to ever know anything that is done on the inside of government. You wouldn't be able to have it be, handle it because you don't have enough wires upstairs to be able to process what government has to deal with that is outside of your view. That's why they're in government. Insider information. All you're doing is meddling with them that are given to change, and God's going to damn your family. Amen. Lord, teach us to humble ourselves. Beneath the rulers that you've given us. They that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. We can resist by not paying taxes. We can resist by disobeying their laws. We can resist by cursing them. We can resist by supporting rabble-rousers who oppose them. There's all kinds of ways that we can resist. If we resist, we're bringing damnation into our lives by the authority of God who ordained That office, that government, that Congress, that Supreme Court, that everything that's involved in the federal and state and local levels of our government. Verse 3, Rulers are not a terror to good works. If you're doing what's right, there is no reason to worry about government. It's amazing. If you're doing what's right. You say, but what about when they start persecuting you for Jesus? Well, when they get to that, then I'll let you talk about that in light of Romans 13.3. But until they get there, we don't discuss that. Because you've never faced it. It's unimportant. It's a scornful distraction to your little mind. Rulers are not a terror to good works. Do you know what government that he's talking about here? The foreign, occupying, usurping, pagan, Christ-hating, Christ-crucifying... Jerusalem leveling government of the Roman Empire. They worshipped their ensigns. They worshipped their Caesars. And their Caesars had quite an affection for little boys. This is the government of Romans 13. You think your government is bad? Then go read about the Roman Empire. What did the Roman Empire do to the Lord Jesus Christ? What did it do to the Apostle Paul? What did it do to the Apostle Peter? What did it do to the others? Rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. When you're doing what's right, you're treated like a citizen. You say, well, they, they whipped Paul. They tried to whip Paul. Then they did whip Paul. Then they tried to whip Paul again. When Paul, did Paul use his citizenship and get a free ride from Caesarea to Rome? That's right. When they put him on trial, could they find anything wrong in his life? No. No. Had he ever been a rabble rouser against the government? No. No. Rulers are not a terror to good works. God ordained, listen to this, rulers are no more a terror to good works than you have been as a father in your household. If a child does good, daddy loves them. And daddy takes care of them. Are there ever exceptions to that rule? Of course. Do you know what the exceptions do? They make the, the rule very clear to us. It's the same with government. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? If God has put these men in position and put government in position to punish evildoers, won't you be afraid of them by doing evil? Still, you want to do good. Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. If you're a good citizen, the government's going to love you and take care of you. You might get a tax break. You might get all sorts of things if you're submissive to the government and obedient to them. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. Caesar? Yes. Paul was in prison in Jerusalem. Forty men had made a foolish vow that they were not going to eat or drink until they had killed the apostle Paul. Paul's little nephew overheard that vow as they were bragging in the local Applebee's. And he went and told his mother, who was Paul's sister, and his mother sent him in to see Paul. And he told Paul what had happened. Paul called one of the Romans over and told them what was going on. Have you read about the size of the armed guard that took Paul the couple hundred miles from Jerusalem to Caesarea? Amen. What a magnificent military escort for our beloved brother Paul. That's right. He had a couple hundred horsemen with him. He had foot soldiers with him. Do that which is good, and the ruler will take care of you. Amen. When he stood on trial and Tertullian had come up, out of Jerusalem to be a witness against him who was an eloquent orator when he realized that that room might be moving against him and that the Jews might be gaining the upper hand to get him back to Jerusalem where they could kill him on the way or have him killed there by their own laws he says i appeal to caesar he was taken for a free ride across the mediterranean sea he was put in a rental house in rome and no one was hindered from coming to him because he was a good citizen You say, well, they eventually cut his head off. All governments are eventually going to cut our heads off if we live for Jesus Christ. But if they cut your head off for not paying your taxes, we're not going to bury you. You can rot in the street. Because you've made your God something very different than the God of the Bible. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. That is the executive office and executive power of government in that it is able to punish evildoers. He is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Notice that civil rulers are the ministers of God for good. they're the ministers of God for punishment. They minister good to those who are good citizens, and they minister evil toward the punishment or judgment toward those that are evil. Wherefore? if you've heard anything from the first four verses here's the conclusion verse 5 wherefore ye must needs be subject it's obvious that we should be subject to civil government not only for wrath lest we make them angry against us and they punish us but also for conscience sake because we want to serve god and please him that's also mentioned in first peter chapter 2 first peter chapter 2 verses 13 through 17 are so similar to these For for this cause pay ye tribute also. Here's why you ought to pay taxes. You must pay taxes because the Bible says so in the following verses and words. But here is the reason why. For for this cause pay ye tribute also. For they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. They are God's appointed ambassadors to maintain social order in the world. And because they have to be doing that all the time, and they can't go out and write software, or network hardware, or do chemical analysis, you're supposed to pay taxes so they can apply themselves 8 hours a day, or 12 hours a day, 5, 6, or 7 days a week, to the matters of government. That is what that verse is saying they have to be about the business of government. So you should pay taxes and you should understand that if you want your minister well fed and happy and if you want your minister being a minister of good to you and you want your minister being a minister of evil to those that do evil, then pay taxes and be excited about it. You say, well, what if government gets too big? How big is big? Have they taken your home yet? Have they taken your wife yet? Have they taken your children yet? Have they taken your son's family jewels yet? Have they taken you for a long ride yet? Oh, (laughs) government's not very big in the United States, is it? It's pretty small. You say, well, it's bigger than it used to be. So are you. Unbelievable. Any type of reference like that? I know you're retarded, and so does anyone else that hears you, and so does the God of heaven. We still have small government in these United States of America. Could I be pressed into saying, I wish it was smaller? Maybe if you pressed me hard. But that is God's choice. You know what? I still think He's being merciful to America. We don't have to sing God bless America. He's already blessed America and He is still blessing America. We are blessed abundantly. How important is authority in the Bible? Brethren, just think about it for a moment. Consider the combined emphasis in the Bible that the Bible places on all levels of authority starting with God. It is the most pervasive subject of the entire Bible by a factor that is large. God's authority is the first authority. Is it in the first chapter of the Bible? Did he ask anybody for permission to create? No. Did he ask any animal for permission to create it, knowing that man was going to skin it? That isn't very nice. Take its skin off. Chop its head off. Stick it to a board. Put glass marbles for eyeballs. And stick it on a wall. That isn't very nice. They were going to disembowel it and make sausages out of what they found on the inside that wasn't really edible. Take the part that was edible And feed it to you. Take its little hoofs and put it in some kind of formaldehyde and sell it in the grocery store. Pickled pig's feet. God didn't ask anyone, did He? Did He ask the giraffe if it wanted a stupidly long neck? Did He ask the elephant if he wanted a nose to be pulled out and have two fingers missing from its feet and put on its nose? The authority of God starts out in chapter 1 and in chapter 22 of Revelation, there's the authority of God that will send the souls of the wicked into hell. And it says, if you mess with my words by adding to them, I'll add to you the plagues that are in this book. And if you take away from my words, I'll take away from you your part in the book of life that you think you have. That's That's authority. First chapter, last chapter. The number one subject of the Bible is the authority of the God of heaven. And He is a wonderful God. But He didn't ask anyone. It was in the eternal counsel of His own will that He did all the things that are in the Bible. How much authority does God show in creation? Just think with me about the emphasis that is on this subject in the Bible. The flood. The exodus out of Egypt. Did anything bad happen to the Egyptians is what I'm trying to remind you of. Canaan. Babylon. Jerusalem. Judgment Day. How much authority does God show over angels? Soul creation. He did not ask me if I wanted to have a soul and to have existence in this world. If I say I wish he would have asked me, I'm speaking as a fool. and You should understand that, right? Yeah. Is there part of you that thinks that maybe he should have asked you? He doesn't think about that. He didn't ask you if you wanted a soul. I love this point. This point gets Arminians as much as it gets anyone. All you have to do is ask an Arminian, do you believe that your God is omniscient? Yes, of course then does that mean that your God knows everyone that's going to hell? Yes. Then why did He create them? Right. Do you know what He's going to have to answer if He answers at all? He's going to have to answer with our answer. For His glory. Amen. There is no other answer. How about our first parents? God's authority over our first parents. The rules He gave them. The intruder that He allowed into the Garden of Eden and the consequences for submitting to that intruder in the Garden of Eden? How about over nations? How about over thoughts and words? Are you going to give an account for every thought and idle word that proceeds out of your tongue? How much authority is there in the Bible? How about rewards and punishments that are mentioned in the Bible for fearing, loving, and obeying Him or not doing so? How much in the Bible is written about husband and wife? How much about parent and child, master, servant, king, citizen? Priest, prophet, apostle, pastor, and people. It's important that we cover this. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers. I sent a proverb out on Wednesday. Proverbs chapter 24 verse 21. My son, fear thou the Lord and the King. Meddle not with them that are given to change. For their calamity shall rise suddenly and there'll be no deliverance from it. Proverbs 24, 21 and 22. I was stirred up. I trust by God. I was stirred up by the Lord when I wrote it. Stirred up by the Lord when I sent it. And I just got a little bit more stirred up when I got the responses I did. It amazes me how the people that name the name of Christ and say they have cracked the Bible a time or two in their lives would ever be led astray by the foolishness of wanting to fight government. Show me in the Bible... Especially the New Testament where a Christian ever fought government. But if we file a tax return, we're making the United States government and the IRS a sovereign in our life instead of Jesus Christ. Why did the Apostle Paul appeal to Caesar for his protection instead of Jesus Christ? Right. Because Caesar was God's minister for good to Paul. Amen. I want to jump up on Caesar's lap, open up his shirt, and suck. Do you know why? Because the Bible tells me that Caesar of old and Caesar of the present is my nursing father and my nursing mother. That's right. Amen. Giving up my sovereignty because I appeal to Caesar. What would Paul say if you told him that? You sent him a little email, you sent him a text message while he was in prison. I heard that you appealed to Caesar and gave up the sovereignty of Jesus Christ. His first two words we know, they're found in the book of Romans. God forbid. Why would you even think such thoughts? Where does that come from? That comes from the delusion of the devil that wants to get Christians distracted with fighting a battle God's never given a Christian to fight that you will never do a hill of beans worth of good in anyway. It's going to destroy your family. It destroys the gospel. It destroys your reputation. It neuters you as far as accomplishing anything for Jesus Christ the Lord. It shows that you don't trust Him but yourself more than Him. The greatest thing you can ever do for our government is to get down on your knees and pray intercessory prayer like Daniel, Noah, Job, Moses, and Samuel did for their respective governments. Amen. That is the most important thing you can do, and that is what you are commanded to do, but there's not a word or a hint to fight government or city hall. Proverbs 24:21. Lord, thank you for that verse. Thank you for showing us that verse. Some in this church were involved in anti-government activities in the past, including your pastor. Some have been involved in anti-government rhetoric, that is talking out against the government, mocking the government, ridiculing the government, criticizing the government, for which we repent to God. We have seen others who did not leave this fight make shipwreck of their souls, their families, their fortune, and their faith in the process. They're idiots. That is the kindest word and it's kinder than the scriptures. Do you know what God says about them? They're rabid dogs right. that ought to be shot. Right. You say, where's that in the Bible? 2 Peter chapter 2 verses 10 through 12, Jude, the only chapter, verses 8 through 10. They don't have a clue what they're talking about. They do not understand. They're railing against civil government when even the angels in heaven will not do so. Right. The angels in heaven did not rail against Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler! was Almighty God's personal, hand-picked choice for the German people, and He was a perfect pick. They deserved every bit of pain and trouble they got from Adolf Hitler. And a whole lot more, because our God is good and merciful. You have never read about German philosophers and German theologians. They are the profanest Of Western civilization. Amen. Adolf Hitler, why does that give you a problem? God handpicked him. Do you know that God had him in the womb of his mother? And protected him in the womb of his mother? He protected him when he was born. He protected him when he was young. He protected him in World War One. Even though he was wounded in World War I, it did not take his life because God had a better, bigger plans for him than just being a foot soldier in the German army in World War I. He had real big plans for him. He was going to put a spanking on the German nation and all the details of which are in the secret council of Almighty God. Amen. But we know enough to look at our God and say, You are righteous. And we would say the same thing if we didn't know anything at all. Why in the world? Does any? What are you talking about? Well, I'll tell you one thing. Hitler got you employed when you were unemployed. He got the currency stabilized when it was inflating by the hour. He got a little bit of pride back into Germany after England, France, and the rest of the world had just about stripped them of everything they had. I don't want to talk about any of that stuff. None of it's worthwhile. I just want to tell you that God handpicked Adolf Hitler and took care of him from the moment he was conceived until the moment that he did exactly what God had planned for him to do all along. Do yep. you know what intelligence it takes to do that? It takes devil possession. God prepared a man for devil possession. All you have to do is read a little bit about his life. Right. Lord, give us mercy that no one will be led astray. We have seen pastors justify sedition and treason by corrupting Scripture. Turn to Ecclesiastes 10 and verse 4. I preached it to you about a year or 15 months ago. Ecclesiastes 10:4. These are the extreme measures that people will go to to justify an anti-government mentality and anti-government activities. Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and verse 4. If the spirit of the ruler rise up against thee, leave not thy place, for yielding pacifieth great offenses. That verse should be easily understood by everyone here, just on its own reading. That verse should also be well understood by everyone here, based on everything else the Bible has to say, that by long forbearing, a prince is persuaded, and a soft tongue breaketh the bone. That's how you win favor with government. A soft answer. This verse was used by some that we knew in the past. If the spirit of the ruler rise up against thee, if he steps out of bounds, and he starts to exert his governmental authority beyond what he should be, don't you dare leave your place. You stand still and you fight him. Because if you yield, then you're endorsing his wicked policies. You say it doesn't say that yielding endorses his policies. I know. That's why I wanted to read it to you. I wanted you to understand how men lie with the Bible. Even when they have to pull four lexicons off until they get the fourth one that has some obscure secondary definition for the Hebrew word there for pacifieth to mean endorse. The verse is saying, if you've done something bad and the ruler is mad against you, don't you dare leave your house. You stay there and sit there with your little wife and your little children and play Scrabble with them because yielding pacifies great offenses. If you'll be quiet long enough and stay at home, he'll forget about what you did that offended him because he's going to go off and not worry about it. He'll get over his anger. The whole Bible speaks this. I'm going to tell you one thing Solomon wasn't writing in Ecclesiastes 10. I'm going to tell you. When my tax collectors come to your door and they tell you that there's an increase and you feel the spear of the ruler has risen up against you, Good. He's not teaching them to shoot the man. Right. This is to submit. You can understand that verse, can't you? Amen. There isn't any doubt about it. There's verses in the Bible that I can show you that it, there's doubts about them. We're waiting for the Lord to show them to us clearly. This is not one of them, and never has been. Right. We have seen asinine arguments from the Constitution as king. Oh, if you ever hear anybody bring up the Constitution, that goofy little piece of paper that was written in the early days of our country, this is the piece of paper I'm thankful for. Amen. I've looked and searched, but I haven't found Bible references in the Constitution. Right. They say it's built on Bible principles. I haven't really seen many of them. Every check and balance that they have in the Constitution is contrary to the Bible because every form of government in the Bible is autocratic. Right. One. One. Oh, let's not go there. Constitution. Did Jesus, Paul, and Peter have a constitution? Was it written by men better than Benjamin Franklin? Who was it written by? Think this. The finger of God. What was the constitution of Jesus, Paul, and Peter? The Old Testament scriptures. Was it their constitution? Did Did it govern their entire political economy? Did it govern their entire religious economy, yep. their financial economy, yep. how they were to wage war, yep. who they were to wage war against? They describe all of that. Yep. They had a constitution. Paul had one when he wrote Romans 13.1. Do you know what he said? The powers that be are ordained of God Amen. and the power that is has superseded our constitution. When anyone brings up constitution to you, remind them of the Bible, that there was a constitution in play in the Bible. And it was a constitution justifying Israel to have every bit of land between the Euphrates River and the Nile River from the Mediterranean Sea to the Jordan Basin. That it was their land given to them by God, and they had a divine right to it, and they could kill anyone that stepped on it. They had a constitutional right. What did Jesus do when he was pressed with that matter by the Herodians and the Pharisees together? Show me your money. Why are you Jews walking around with pictures of Caesar in your pocket? There is a de facto government in Israel that has superseded the Constitution by the divine choice of Almighty God. You say, well, how do we know when God has judged our nation? When the government changes and gets worse, then you know that God is judging our nation. And you don't need to know any more about it than that. God is judging our nation. You say, well, they were prophets. Well, I'm your prophet then. Just read the Bible and understand that if things get worse, God brought them. God brought them. You say, well, I should take up my gun and change it back. Where does that taught in the Bible? Nowhere. You're part of a holy nation that never changes. I'm part of a kingdom that never changes. Its laws never change and its king never dies. He's never impeached and he doesn't answer to Congress. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. We've seen arguments like wages are not income, right? I never thought of my wages as income. No one else does either, right? FRNs are not money. Really? Then give me your wallet so that I can save you from carrying around wasted paper that's not money. The social security number is the mark of the beast. Right. Do you even know who the beast is? Can you spell the word beast? To say something like that, can you spell the word beast? Right. Do you know what empire has the number of the beast? Could it be America? No, America's 2,000 years too late. So where in the world are you coming up with poppycock like that? I'll tell you where it's coming from. There's a guy out here that you can't see with your eyes who is the devil himself that is throwing little lies in here and you have a heart that is very receptive to them because you want to latch on to anything you can to fight government because you're a rebel at heart. Let's not be rebels at heart. I don't care if they give us ten numbers. If you think the social security number is the mark of the beast, what about your phone number? That really bothers me. What about your house number? What about the number you get when you go to Lowe's and you have to stand in line for someone to help you? I wouldn't care if they gave us a little chip to put under our skin. I wouldn't slow down one second. Every citizen of the United States needs to have a chip in their in the skin the thick skin of the heel. So what? No problem. Give me your chip. It's got six digits. Good. It's got a six in it. Better. What are you going to do? Right. Cut your legs off. You wouldn't have a heel. What are you going to do? Go to Canada? They've been doing it for 20 years. Right. It's not heels. Don't go home and Google that. Please. They're way advanced beyond us. So... Sh- Socialistically. We'll get to some of those things hopefully later. If if we take a tax deduction for what we give to the church, then we're trusting the government instead of the Lord. Hello? I take a tax deduction so that I can trust the Lord to take out of the pockets of pagans and put in the pockets of this church. That sounds like trusting the Lord to me a whole lot more than you, thinking that your financial maneuvers at the expense of your own family are going to help the Lord. You know, when you people keep having babies at the rate you are, and if you give to the Lord and you write both of those things off on your taxes, the pagans in this country who don't give to churches, And who abort their babies, do you know what they're doing? They're paying twice as much in taxes as you are for the same level of income. I thank God, through Jesus Christ my Lord, that there is a God in heaven. And He arranges all that. Those schedules are all laid out for you in a sweet little document entitled, God Bless the IRS. The internet being what it is, where you can publish yourself for free, there's nearly an infinite number of heresies and anarchists on this subject who publish themselves. Our political situation is going to deteriorate further. It's going to get worse in this country. When it gets worse in this country, there's going to be worse rhetoric against government and your hackles are going to rise up faster and farther by nature. Therefore, we have to be prepared to avoid all the arguments and to be able to give answers to others in our assembly, to be able to defend the truth and to keep ourselves ruled, so that our spirits do not get out of hand and be wicked. Amen. We love this subject because it honors and glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. When the Herodians and Pharisees tried to trap him on a matter of monetary issues and government, he silenced them so quickly in just a few verses that they were afraid to ask him any more on that subject. Since we are members of His kingdom and citizens of His nation, which is far better than the United States, we have nothing to worry about. We cannot allow our liberty in Jesus Christ to be falsely accused by those that are looking for faults and they'll be finding a fault if we're fighting government because there's enough verses in the Bible telling them that's not what we should be doing. Our Lord Jesus Christ will deliver us from all the enemies. He has already delivered you from the kingdom of Satan. Do you think keeping you safe in the kingdom of the United States is hard for Him? He's going to deliver you from death and hell. Do you think keeping you safe from the IRS is hard for Him? Why do you think that? All we care about is what the Bible says. All the opinions of men are worthless. There is no nation or political philosophy worthy at all to modify the Word of God to endorse it. We are Christians before we're Americans, and the two things are not even distant cousins. And we are preeminently Christians before we are Americans. All authority originates with God. God's authority is infinitely greater than all other authority, but He delegates it into offices that are upon earth, and those offices are five. They are husband, parent, master, king, and prophet, priest, apostle, or pastor. Marriage, family, business, nations, religion. God has His rulers, and He's appointed them. Consider parental authority for just a moment as we think about the importance of authority. Think about the authority that you first meet with when you are conceived. You worry about Adolf Hitler? If Adolf Hitler were the President of the United States right now, he could and would do you far less in the way of influencing and affecting your life than your parents did. This is the first authority structure you meet with in life. It's profoundly instructive for us. Before creating you, God did not consult you about becoming a helpless subject of two giants. There were two giants that if they dropped you, could kill you. If they forgot to feed you, could starve you. If they didn't diaper you, you know what you would have done. I'll not mention it in this sermon. Before creating you, God did not consult you about the two people He chose for your parents. The office of parent is two giants that take care of a little helpless baby. He didn't ask you if you wanted to arrive on the scene that way instead of in a limo with a military escort. He didn't ask you. And He didn't ask you the two parents that He gave you. He didn't ask you about the DNA gene package that you got from your two parents. Do you know that your IQ was set along before you were here to get it measured in the first grade? God chose your IQ by choosing your parents. And if He chose two idiots for your parents, then guess what? Idiot plus idiot usually doesn't mean genius. I'm sorry. God's able to work miracles, but that would not be a miracle. I mean, that would be a miracle, but he usually does not do that. Just think about it. I'm not trying to make fun of anyone. What I want you to I want to make fun of everyone, Amen. including me. Look at the choices of authority God gave. Did your parents affect your life? Your gene package is from your parents. The training and the opportunities were from your parents. Whether you were abused or not abused, it doesn't matter. It was from your parents. Your parents have affected your life incredibly more than the present President of the United States. Before creating you, God did not consult your parents of the kind of child that they could love most. That's why He gave them you. And He didn't ask them. The effect of the office of parent and the two people He put in that office affect your life incredibly. Did you know that God providentially directed their lives your father's employment or unemployment, your mother's employment or unemployment, whether their marriage was good, filled with fighting and cursing and divorce or not, God stirred up that spirit in both parents, governed that spirit, restrained that spirit, allowed that spirit for all the effects that it had in your life. And you want to talk about what's going on in Pennsylvania Ave? I think we need to disband right now and go see our parents and tell them we ain't paying taxes anymore, that we're going to have a tea party in Greenville against them. Because they had some... Mom, we'll drink some, we'll drink some British tea, is what I said. We'll have some Canadian tea to drink. A tea party. So why do you want to fight government? Right. The President and Congress is never going to even come close to touching the effect on your life. So the government wants to take 3.6% of your income. Do you know what? You make 70% less than you would have if you'd have been born to the parents down the street. Suck on that for a while. You were given better parents than you deserve. Every single one of us. No matter how bad they were. A bad parent in America is better than a good parent most anywhere else. The fact that you're here today, God has providentially been very kind in your life. God providentially directed their lives and spirits toward goodness or toward evil. He restrained whatever He didn't want and He allowed whatever He was approving. And you caught the effects of it all. Foolishness or unkindness on their part does not diminish their office or authority or the duty you owe them. Think about it. If they're foolish, if a parent is foolish, that doesn't diminish your responsibility to their authority. It doesn't diminish their authority. It just means you have a foolish parent. What else is new? God never gave you to parents to check their authority, and He certainly didn't give you to the President of the United States to check his. The only exceptions to their authority are the endangerment of life or God's positive command... Any combination of the abuse of their position, your loss of respect for them, their lack of love towards you, their inconsistency in applying their rules, their unfaithfulness in their duties, or any other excuse to disregard their authority, falls far short of the Word of God. It's totally inadequate. Right. Where does authority come from? It comes from God. Look at Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Just think, uh, what we did is just we took an exercise there in thinking about the emphasis in the Bible on authority and how the authority of parents gives us, see, that's our first teacher about authority. That's the first one you meet with. I mean, how, what's the next authority structure you get into? Our government didn't tax you when you were four. Well, unless you were real precocious in your financial endeavors. You know, you, you, you learn about authority from that one relationship. And if you just stop and think about it, wow! God makes choices that are enormous, enormous in that first relationship. And it far exceeds anything that government, civil government can do to me. And because I know I ought to obey my parents until they command me to disobey God or try to kill me, I know that. I know I should honor my parents. I know all the things that the Bible teaches about parents and I believe those. Therefore, believe them about government because it should be easier for you to accept than to realize what happens to you because of the two parents God chose to supply your DNA package and all of your upbringing and training. Right. If you ever heard your parents scream and fight about how much they hated each other while you were growing up and it torments you and it tormented you then, God chose that. Right. For your profit and His glory. Forgive them. It should be easy. You've probably repeated it yourself. Look at the authority in Genesis chapter 1, verse 24. God said, Genesis 1, 24, God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after His kind, cattle and creeping thing, and beast of the earth after His kind, and it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind, and God saw that it was good. Verse 26, and God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. Subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. That is authority. And God gave it to us. And I don't care what Peter says. People for the ethical treatment of animals, God said, subdue them, have dominion over them, whether they fly up there, they swim down there, or they walk in between. Take them, use them, wear them, eat them, ride them, fry them, bread them and fry them, bread them and deep fry them. Have dominion over them. Look at the authority from the God of heaven over the animal kingdom. Don't animals have rights? No, animals don't have rights. Men have responsibilities. Is there anything in the Bible that restrains man's dominion over the animal world? Yes, you know that. From the book of Proverbs, Solomon's Wisdom. A good man, or a righteous man, or a merciful man doeth good to his own beast. He doesn't overwork his animals. From the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out thy corn. Thou shalt not see the kid in its mother's milk. If you go out and get a kid and you're going to boil it for supper, God said, don't boil it in its mother's milk. That, do you know how many times that's in the Old Testament? Have you ever run into that little verse? Thou shalt not seethe, S-E-E-T-H-E, a kid in its mother's milk. God wants you to think about that little kid, goat, or that little lamb that you're bringing in to have for supper and if you're going to boil it in milk, he wants you to at least go get milk from some other creature rather than its mother just to make you think a little bit about the animal kingdom. Right. I love the Bible. Amen. 31,101 verses and three of them say thou shalt not see a kid in its mother's milk. If while you're out in the woods taking a hike and you come up on a bird's nest and a mother bird is sitting on its eggs, do you know what the Bible says? You can have one or the other, but you can't have them both. That's right. I love the Bible. I don't need a humane society. I've got a divine society. Amen. Humane society. Do you know what a humane society... you want to know how they think? Keep the rabid dogs alive and kill your babies that don't have rabies. That's, right. That's how PETA thinks. While PETA is out protecting some species, and it doesn't matter if we... Increase or decrease the number of species God didn't say. Make sure you keep all the ones that I created. If we use one of them all up because we're all wearing them, I'll start wearing fur next Sunday if you need an object lesson. Not quite. (laughs) But God has given us that kind of authority over them. Then God ordained the five offices that I mentioned. The first one was when he introduced Eve to Adam. Now, when they were first introduced, they were on more of an equal plane than they were after Eve's sin. The Bible explains that in Genesis chapter 2 and 3. A bunch, of, uh, a bunch of hunchbacked men sitting around a fire in a cave eating a rabbit they had killed with sticks did not creatively stumble on the concept of marriage. God ordained it. Right, amen. God created a woman for Adam and put her under him as his helper before sin. Then God brings children into this world that are under both of their parents. He ordains priests and pastors for the oversight of his people in religious matters. When they get to working, the cream rises to the top and masters run businesses and servants work for them. And then he puts autocratic political rulers at the top. One of the first ones in the Bible was Nimrod, who was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Nimrod was a mighty hunter because the Lord blessed him in his hunting endeavors and a man that was physically prowess in those days was put in charge because there were many beasts. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. The authority comes from God. God providentially set up these five offices. This requires the man in the office to exercise his authority, and it requires those under the office to submit to his authority. Regardless of the man in the office, the authority comes from God. But what if he's a bad husband? What if he's a bad master? Why are you asking me that? You are a rebel. It doesn't matter. There is no such thing as a perfect ruler on this planet. And there never will be until the Lord Jesus Christ. Whenever the Bible takes up your scornful objection, it says when you have a bad master, it's the only time that you can ever do anything on the job that's thankworthy from the God of heaven. If you have a good master that's always taking care of you and is kind and pats you on the back and makes sure that you get milk and cookies for your afternoon break, that is not submission. It's 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 18 through 22. It's only when you have a bad master that you can truly show submission. That doesn't change the office at all. Not at all. Well, because he's 50% bad, I'm only going to be 50% good in submitting to him. That is how the flesh thinks. That is not the word of God. Because he's 50% bad, you ought to be 120% good. To show God how much you love him, because the only, equa- the only factor that needs to be put in that equation to make it work is your conscience toward God. First Peter chapter two verses 18 through twenty two If you have a conscience and you have a bad master or a bad husband or a bad parent or a bad king or a bad pastor, it calls for more effort on your part to fulfill your role under their authority. Then it's thankworthy. And do you know what generates that extra effort with a bad master? Conscience toward God. Greater faith. Greater love of God. Because you know that God is allowing that onerous conduct that is bothering you. For your good. For your trial. To see how you'll react. To see what you'll do with it. Do you know what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23? I want to show you how far it goes. It doesn't matter who's in the office. Right. That, is, that is just un, unbelievable. So what should a child do that's born to bad parents? Yeah. As soon as it gets old enough, buy a gun and kill them? Is that what he should do so that he can have a better life? Are you kid- I'm just taking it to its logical absurdity like the Apostle Paul did in Romans chapter 3, in verses 5 through 8. No, you know better than that. Matthew chapter 23, Jesus said, The Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, therefore do everything they bid you to do. Wait a minute. I thought Jesus hated the Pharisees. I thought Jesus preached against the Pharisees in almost every chapter in Matthew. Yes and yes. But they sat in Moses' seat. They had authority that descended and had been transferred from Moses. Therefore, obey everything they tell you to do, but don't do after their works. You don't have to follow their character, but you have to follow their commandments. Does everybody hear that? That's the Word of God. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, well, I'd submit and be a better wife if my husband was a better husband. Right, hello? Why don't you read Matthew 23, 1 through 3. Some time about the Pharisees being in Moses' seat. God not only set up the offices, God also providentially prepares men to fill those offices. God picks men that have exceptional ability to put in those offices in all five spheres. Do you remember how Egypt ended up with Joseph? Because when he stood in the midst of the smartest men of Egypt, Pharaoh said, without shame and without any disagreement, do we have any one? With a spirit of wisdom like this, who ra- see God raised up the man for the office, first of all, God raises up the office and he raises up the man. Did he sometimes that's physical prowess. Did King Saul have an advantage over the other men of Israel? Yes. When you walk into a room did he get your attention? Yes. yes, because he was head and shoulders taller than anyone else in Israel. God prepared him physically for the job. Is God able to give a man a different kind of a heart to fit him for the job? Are there examples of that in the Bible? Is it Saul again? 1 Samuel chapter 10? Does God prepare men for ruling by subjecting their people under them? Did God subject the people of Israel, the 12 tribes under David? Did David say that it was from the Lord? Did David say he's taught my hands to war, my fingers to fight, and caused my people to submit under me? All from the Lord. God prepares men by giving them gifts. God prepares men by providentially confirming their rule. 1 Kings chapter 3, did King Solomon, who was very intimidated by his job, did he get an immediate confirmation so that all the people would know he was a very wise king? What was it? Two harlots came to him and said, we smothered one of the babies that we have last night. We've got one left. And both harlots said that it was theirs. And King Solomon settled that dispute in such a way that the whole nation knew they had one very wise king. Who arranged for a baby to die that night? Right. The God of heaven. For what purpose? Amen. Of proving that his vision and the answer of that vision to Solomon had been fulfilled so that the whole nation would know it. Did Daniel have some events occur in Nebuchadnezzar's life when Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and in the morning wouldn't tell his wise men the dream, which cut them off from any ability, Because they were used to hearing a dream and then making something up. But Daniel was able to repeat to the king the dream. Providential means of establishing rule. God is so good about things like that. God is able to specifically appoint the man. Sometimes the man just rises to the top because he's got better ability. In either case, he ends up at the top in these five spheres of authority. And God wanted him there. God's going to use him there. And it's our job to submit to him there. All of this comes back to the fact that there is a God in heaven who created and who ordained these positions of authority, who put us over the animals, who gave you your set of parents and all the consequences, good and evil, that that brought into your life. And we are to trust Him for any position of authority that we're under and for conscience toward Him we serve as well as we can. We do not break any commandment that they give us until it is going to take our lives or it is against the direct commandment of God. We do not speak against them. To curse your parents was capital punishment in the Old Testament. To curse the king, even in your thought, God's going to deal with you for that. Forty-two children made fun of Elijah one time, and two she-bears came out of the woods when he cursed those forty-two children and tore them up. All of these are examples about guarding our thoughts, guarding our lips, guarding our actions, and submitting to five authority structures that God's given us in our lives, and He has put the men and the women in those offices for us to be under, and God gave them the abilities or the lack thereof in executing their office, and God stirs them up or restrains their wickedness, or stirs them up to do wickedness by hardening their hearts, so that all the effects are by, arranged by God. There is no power but of God. Therefore, we know that this is God's choice for my life, and He hasn't told me to fight it. He's told me to submit to it and to be cheerful and to trust Him. So we trust God, we pray for them, and we help them in every way that we can by being obedient subjects. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word for this first assembly.